You are listening to a Core Awareness Seminar by Liz Cook. Her website is www.coreawareness.com. That's C-O-R-E awareness.com. Please note that Core Awareness is a trademark signature of Liz Cook, her workshops, seminars, books, and CDs. The information presented in the seminar is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose of the seminar is to provide information and to simply educate. The author and publisher shall have neither liability nor responsibility to any person or entity with respect to any loss, damage, or injury caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly by the information, suggestions, explorations, or exercises contained within the seminar or written in response to the seminar. The author is not a medical authority, and she is not qualified to diagnose or prescribe any therapy. The information is simply her personal opinion. Please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have. Okay, so I'm very excited to introduce people to a musician who I find to be an extraordinary person. I love her work. I haven't met her in person yet, but I hope to at some point. But uh, Jamie Sieber's work has um, been instrumental in my work with the SOAS and my work with Continuum and just the exploration of human tissue. Um, I think the the cello in particular is is quite moving. So I welcome you, Jamie Sieber, to this uh, podcast, and thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for inviting me, Liz. It's a pleasure to have a lengthy conversation with you um, for the first time. Yeah. So I wanted to introduce people a little bit. So I pulled up your website, which is jamiesieber.com. And I went under your biography, and uh, I thought the beginning was was worth reading to people, so I'm just going to read it really quickly. Every so often, a musician emerges who manages to speak to the spirit by way of their instrument. Electric celloist, vocalist, and composer Jamie Sieber reaches inside the soul with compositions that are contemporary, timeless, lush, and powerfully evocative. Her style of performance has been recognized internationally, and she is a celebrated pioneer of her instrument and received the Northwest Area Music Association Award for Best Rock Instrumentalist, No Easy Feat for a Celloist. So that kind of tells us a little bit about your background, but I, I, I want to um, go into, uh, into the cello a little bit. Um, itself and ask you, why did you choose the cello um, in the first place? Well, my father um, was and still is a conductor, and he, at the time that I was growing up, he was conducting orchestras and was a music educator and, and was a string. He got his doctorate degree in string performance. And... Um, and I think it was always his dream that he had four children and that we would be a quartet. So wow. when we were all growing up, he asked us, what instrument do you want to play? 
And I had gone to a symphony concert at, at about the age of five, I remember, and there was this woman who um, was soloing with the orchestra, and she played cello. And I just remember being completely awestruck by the sound and the power and the presence of her and her instrument. And um, so when my dad asked me, I, at about seven, I said, I want to play cello. And so um, I started then. He was my first teacher, and then I started um, a year later with other teachers in the Minnesota area. But it was there was something that grabbed me, and I don't know that at five I could articulate it or even had any true concept of what it was, but something reached inside from that instrument and grabbed me. And do you, can you articulate it now as an adult, what what the cello does, what what it, how it speaks well, to you? To me, yeah, I, I, to me the, the cello range is, is the range of the human voice, really. If you were, um, you know, ranging from male to female to, it's just that resonance that um, not only resonates within everybody's body and being from when they speak, when they sing, um, that when you have that sound of a cello mirroring then back to something which is within you, I think there becomes this resonance that just is there. It just taps in deep to the soul. And... Um, and I mean, I can I can be in places, and people would be completely happy if I just played one note. That's what they keep saying. It's like, Jamie, you could just play one note, and the sound of that cello just it just grabs me. And um, I think there is this sweetness that is reflecting of our own voice. Um, well, that leads. That fami- Go ahead. I'm sorry. And that familiarity of of something deep within. Well, it leads me to want to say how I first heard of you. I was driving um, in my my truck, and I had NPR, I believe, on. And uh, they did, I I think it was NPR, and they did an interview with you. And, uh, Uh um, And they played a piece of your music. And I'm driving down uh, Highway 1, uh, going to the UPS office and, you know, doing my business. And um, and I start listening to this music, and I start crying. And I sat in the UPS <laughs> parking lot in an NPR moment where all I could do was listen to what was going on. But the music moved me so much. I was just, I was, you know, I'm sitting there just... Not sobbing, but just this deep sense of connection to something that was calling me that was so profound that I I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get out of the truck and move on. I had to just stay there and absorb the moment. And then I got to hear, you know, some of the stories. But just the music itself was, I, I still remember the moment. It was, it was a very provocative and very powerful uh, sound for me. And it, it did resonate deep inside of my, my body. And that's one reason I now use it in my classes. And people say how, how moving, how moving uh, it is. 
So I think that the cello and, and, and the way you play it does resonate with human tissue in a, in a literal, um, I want to say, organ, and, and uh, especially with the psoas. Uh, and the psoas is kind of shaped like the, the, the shape of the cello strings. Um, the core, the core of the being of the human, human being. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's, it, you know, it's interesting because I have, um, I'm a nurse by, by training. Um, I worked as an RN for probably about 15 years, very, very sporadic, I mean, part-time. But um, before I became a professional musician, I was nursing, and healing was, was something that was deep within me. I just felt really committed to healing, and... I feel that that healing then has, or that that sense of wanting to present something that is healing to the soul I, and body, I I think it it gets translated through my music. Um, it's when I compose, I compose from a completely organic place, from a place of stillness and um, and whatever is present in the room or within me or within wherever I am, that's what comes out. And it's, it's a, you know, it's a different kind of soul music, you know. I mean, soul music has been identified with Aretha, Aretha Franklin and, you know, et cetera. But to me, I'm playing a different kind of soul music on my cello. And it, um, I think that it does have a way of, of resonating within the emotion, within the water, within the body, um, in a way that does tap something deep. So you have... my intention. Go ahead. It's my intention. And I, I, I think that that's, you know, when, when one sets one intention in their work, I think that really propels it forward in a way that is, that rings true, that becomes authentic in that way. I was going to say that uh, just to introduce people to um, the three CDs that are your 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 older ones, but uh, are fabulous. It's Lush Mechanique, Second Sight, and Hidden Sky, and um, and I know you have a new one that you'll want to tell people about. But I I uh, I find uh, some of Lush Mechanique to be uh, moody and deep and sometimes I have to be in the mood to go there and sometimes uh, let's, let's put it this way I don't consider that album an album that I put on when I'm kind of just wanting to kind of tap my foot and, and sing along you know <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll quote you on that one <laughs> No, it's true. I mean, I think a lot of my music is really moody. It's um, very emotional. It's not. It's not kind of like background, you know, clean the house and get into the groove space. Although there are some good grooves on them, but there, there is. And and so, tell me a little bit about what, um, what was, where were you in 1994 when you did Lush Mechanique in yourself? What what were you exploring in this? In this CD, well, you know, it was, 
it was my first solo CD, and I had been, you know, I mean, I grew up classically trained, and then I left music to, to go to nursing school. And while I was in nursing school, I met a guitar player at a coffee shop, and and he asked me to improvise with him. I had never improvised in my life, but somehow we met up and I tried it, and we started touring the country as a folk duo, and then we got a rock band, and for about 10 years, I toured with anywhere from three to six musicians, and I think 1993, I was kind of over it. I really wanted to break away from the big rock pop sound, even though I had loved working with my band for years. Um, I was ready to try something new, and and part of that was to really explore the depth and the breadth of what the electric cello and the acoustic cello could do. And so I, I felt ready to do it. And then um, a choreographer, Lori Wilson, invited me to work on some of the music for a piece she was creating that was going to be touring in New York, Austin, and Seattle. And um, so I just started shooting ideas to her. She was in Austin at the time, and I would record and improvise and um and I was just in that place of exploring. Everything was new to me, you know. Everything was, um, like, I just had fun exploring the sound with myself, you know, and going deep into the the rhythm and the nature of the cello. And um, and that's, what, that's where Lush Mechanique came out of, was just, um, you know, not having any idea where I was going to go, but just opening up the space and the time to improvise and to create. And, uh, you know, the pieces happened in various places. I remember the piece All She Can Carry, I had just heard. It was during the time of the um, war in Bosnia. And I had just heard this devastating report about some of the ethnic cleansing that was going on there. And uh, I just started playing and creating all she can carry and um you know another time i was just you know playing around and dancing and created dancing at the temple gate you know and just imagine these beings and these creatures and otherworldly creatures dancing at this temple's gate so it was you know it's just all about exploration for me and listening listening to what gets laid down by the cello and then building on top of that or listening within as to what wants to come out. Well, I think this is one reason why the the sounds are so fabulous to uh, do self-exploration with because, because you can simply, just as you said, kind of rest in and listen. And I'm always inviting people to do that in themselves. Part of the work with the psoas isn't to fix the psoas or do something to the psoas. It's a being. It's a being muscle. It's a being. It's a, a bio-intelligent tissue. And so it's, it's about doing nothing but simply being and listening. And for our busy world, sometimes uh, that's a really challenge. And so I find when people... I, uh, uh, when people are going into 
and attempt to learn to listen, sometimes they get fidgety. And music can be a source of inspiration to keep taking you deeper and deeper and being willing to dive into whatever is there uh, in oneself. Mm -hmm. And so I find this music, and it's interesting because I was noticing that you have done a lot of traveling. So it says on your website you've been to China and Russia and Croatia and, oh, my goodness, Kosovo and Bosnia and Italy and France and Thailand, which we'll get to Thailand. Thailand and Korea. Wow. Wow. Thailand, Korea, yeah, a lot of places. So, so you speak to me about that. What, what has you know? What, how do the, I mean? I think your music is about Mother Earth, and I think your your music has a strong goddess connection to Earth energy and to female energy. Although men adore and connect to the heart of that, because we all come from, we all, so far I can say, arrived through a woman. We can still say yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, you know, regarding that, I have kind of a funny story in that five pieces of my music, from two from Lush Mechanique, two from Second Sight, and one from Hidden Sky, have been licensed to be in a video, be in a soundtrack for a video game hmm. that's, um, that's nonviolent and that uses original music. And I'm getting emails from young men who are gamers, mostly mostly men, ranging from age 18 to who knows how old is the oldest, but I would say most of them are in their teens and 20s. And they are completely captivated by my music in that mm. they're saying it's taking them places they've never been before, you know, which I find... Wow. Oh, fantastic, because that's what I would love to do is reach an audience that doesn't normally hear it, because there is an element of the feminine. There is an element of, of, of the spirit goddess or, or other spirit, whatever spirit world there is, um, that how, if that can reach a young man who is, you know, playing a video game, I, you know, I, I feel like my work is done. (laughs) Yeah. And so, but I think that that, that whole piece of the goddess or the feminine or the sacred that is within, um, that can be within music. I feel like we as humans are starved for that right now. Um, you know, we're so out of touch with nature. We're so out of touch with the Mother Earth. And um, and I think they're deep within, we're longing for that reconnection. We're longing to go back, um, whether we know it or not. I, and I... go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you finished. Okay. Um, and so to to be able to go there via music or via art or meditation or healing work is really that that's what's going to bring us back to our our um you know our best selves and um 
in what, what whatever way my music can do that. I you know that's what I would that's what I love to do, um, and and I think that by traveling around the world, I'm sort of placed in all these different situations where music becomes this international language, where it becomes you know, in my experience with the elephants, where it became this interspecies um, language, um, where it became a bridge between us, where this deep connection was felt. Um, you know, I'll speak for my part anyway, um, and I think for them, but uh, definitely for my part. So, um, you know, I think that's been one of the greatest gifts in my career is that many doors have opened up um, to my work, and I think partly it's because of the sound of the cello really speaks to people, and whatever it is I'm writing is really speaking to people in this current day. Well, this brings me, before we, we I do want to delve into the elephants, but before we get there, I, I, I want to connect this idea of um, what I call a larger field, and um, one of the things that I do in my work is by starting to... The psoas is associated with fear and uh, the fear reflex of the body. And so it's, it's an area that trauma and, um, and injury and, and I would say incoherency uh, is expressed. Um, not so much through the psoas, but through the core of the body and, and through the core of the being. And and this larger vision um, that I have of being, uh, that all beings, um, all human beings have a psoas, and all human beings express trauma in the same way. It's not a cultural, it's a biological expression. And so I'm, I'm always seeking um, a kind of recognition in ourselves of this larger biological field in which the human being has in their mind separated themselves but in fact is you know essentially um, important part of of the environment we are the environment and so one of the I was one of the songs on second sight in particular I I don't know it might be the tree of love I actually can't remember the name of it where you do where you you speak there's a poetry there's a story you tell about the kind of craziness of the world and the ability mm-hmm. to return to listening deep within to reconnect to, in fact, this larger field or the world itself. That we don't turn away from the world when we go in, we actually access the world as we enter ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's the tree of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me, tell me that that's an incredible. It's an incredible poem put to cello music. It's an incredible poem, and I have to give credit to my longtime musical collaborator Charlie Murphy, who wrote that poem. Um, he's an incredible um, poet and uh, just thinker, and he wrote that poem and. I just fell in love with it, you know. I I feel like poetry has a way of, just like music, just reaching deep within um, ourselves and getting us past our usual story, you know, and our mm-hmm. usual, you know, mental games that we that we go put ourselves through. 
Um, and, and particularly that poem spoke to living in this time. Um, you know, where we're having to face living with deep sorrow. Um, and, oh gosh, I, that, you know, unfortunately it's hard to jump into the middle of a poem, but it, but it, one of the lines has to do with, you know, recognizing I did not make this crazy bed that I have to sleep on, you know, and mm-hmm. I have sorrow, but sorrow is the sister of hope and the mother of music, mm. water the tree of you know, I mean, it's just, and we are the miracles that God made to taste, um, well, I can't remember the next lines, but it's just this beautiful poem of, of somehow claiming that piece of ourselves, which is deep within sorrow, which is also working it out, you know, which, as you're saying with the psoas, you know, reaching into the core and just dealing with that trauma, dealing with the, the that core of sorrow or pain or whatever was handed us and recognizing that it's going to be the fruits of our future, you know, and the beauty of our future. Um, So I love that you use that poem in your work. Oh, yeah, it's, 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 and once we've kind of gone through a, 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 what we call a dive or a, an exploration, you know, that's that has some structure, but also has a lot of open-ended aspects to it because it's a it's an invocation. Um, there's uh, always time at the end that I I will often read poetry because the the porousness of our uh, our consciousness, the the ability to just be available, opens. Yeah, I mean, just it, it's 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 like a feeding frenzy. Yeah, like we're so ready, we're so hungry to be connected that yeah. that to hear poetry or to hear music or to just be in in silence, whatever it is in that moment that I choose, um, is you know part of the fun of 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 my my job. But it's also an opportunity because what I notice for people is our culture in particular, possibly a universal, possibly all around the world, there's two things. One is that we we are a species in trauma and we keep reenacting our trauma. And so it really is both an individual as well as a cultural uh, responsibility to begin to recognize that, that we're not separate even though our cultures are separate but the species itself is is in trauma and and that we have a deep longing to heal and to allow ourselves to be able to long i realized in myself i i um i sometimes make a joke that the first time i fell in love was i i used these little balls they're kind of soft and gushy they're called slow-mo balls and sometimes i'll put on a piece of music and uh and I'll, I'll just simply roll around on this little ball, especially with it on the back of my heart. It's about 8 to 10 inches, and, and I won't inflate it very much. It'll just be kind of just this little invitation to let go and let the ball support me and, and allow myself to kind of give my weight up and to let the back of my heart open. And, and I make a joke that that's how I first fell in love, was the ability mm. to give myself 
fully, totally, unquestionably to a slow-mo ball. And that, <laughs> you know, and, and I feel like music and, and those kind of explorations. And when you, when, if you have a lot of trauma in the system and you, and you, you, um, you're always in a defense mode, there's a hardening that doesn't allow the, your, it, there's no porousness to the organism. There's no capacity to allow something new to come in or to be touched by something very deeply. And so to create what I call being porous, to be available to allow something to flow through you, such as music or a poem, is, uh, the, is a lot about what I, I'm investigating. And in that capacity, I notice for myself and for people who work with me, always, we all arrive at the same deep, deep sense of longing. And it's, it's a profound uh, feeling. And that to be able to allow yourself to go there is, um, is an act of courage, I would say. Yeah, it is an act of courage. I mean, people are so lucky to be working with you. <laughs> That's what I'm getting a sense of. It's really, this work that you're doing is really vital in this time that we're living. It, 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 it is, because we're living in a very hard world where the core is usually perceived as something that you want to guard, you want to build, you want to create a barrier to. So there's, you know, the abs of steel and the spine of steel and the you know, the, the core strength and to perceive your core as something that's supple and juicy, responsive, um, it is, is a whole different perception. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I just flew in from New York today and I was on my way to a recording studio and I turned on the radio and, you know, I'm kind of in... And that jet lag place of not having had enough sleep, and and the news right now is so, I mean it's just it's pretty awful, you know mm-hmm. between the economy and wars and blah blah blah. And I just found myself as each report was just like washing through me. I just found that I was breathing more and more shallow, and more, and it was just like, oh my God, how can you? How can we hold all of this? Mm-hmm. And and be present in it. How you know? And our task is not to shut down to it, you know, and to not pay attention. But our task also is not to be swallowed up in it, you know, and and to and to not um, have it infest our body so that we get diseased um, so and immobilized. Just, you know, and immobilized. Yes, exactly. So that takes That's me. Right. To- that takes me to your your uh, your your and and I do want you to finish what you were about to say, but but it also takes me to your explorations with the elephants. So I do want you to go there. Oh well, it's actually a perfect segue because my experience with the elephants came on the heels of having toured Bosnia, Croatia, and Kosovo, where I. Um, I was touring with Rhiannon, who's a jazz vocalist, and Ruth Zipora, who's a movement, um, theater movement artist. And uh, all of our concerts were mostly improvisational. And 
the shows were um, informed and inspired by um, gatherings that we would have before the show with women who would tell us stories. We would witness their stories of what they experienced during the war and since the wars in rebuilding their country. And after a couple weeks of this, I was devastated. I felt like my body couldn't hold anymore. I got really, really sick when I got home. And um, I was ready to give up music because it somehow did not feel like it was a tangible enough um, way to offer healing to this planet. Like I needed to go back to nursing and join Mother Teresa. But And then I was invited to go to Thailand to work on the music for a film score. And I thought, okay, this sounds like an adventure. I'll, this will be my last musical, you know, expression. I'll go see what these elephants, you know, have to say. And, and I went to Thailand after about six months um, of trying to have my body recover. And I was still kind of sick when I went there. And um, I... The first day, um, the, let, let me back up a little bit. I was invited to Thailand to work on the music for this film score, but I was also invited to play my cello for elephants as well as with the Elephant Orchestra, which is this group of elephants who have been trained to play these instruments. And so I went there not knowing what to expect. Um, but my first day with them... I was set up with my cello out in this open area, and there were elephants and mahouts, who are the human caretakers, often, you know, maybe, I don't know how far, but, you know, maybe about a half a block away across the field. And I started playing something soft, hoping to invite them closer. And one elephant named Pratida, who was, she's female, who's seven, she came toward me with her mahout, and she um, she just stopped about 15 feet, and she was watching me and listening, and her eyes were opening and closing, and like she was being lulled by the music. And, and I kept playing, and then she would reach out her trunk, um, which in many ways is this huge um, antenna of powerful strength and um, nerves that just feel everything. And, I mean, it's, how, it's their survival appendage. <laughs> um, so then she was moving closer, and she would listen, and I kept playing, and to the point where she got close enough that her trunk was following my bow as it was going across the strings. And she wasn't interfering with it, but she was just following it. And um, and then I started playing something more lively, thinking, I think she's digging this. And and she started bopping her head in rhythm with it and chirping in this high-pitched voice. And, and I was just in tears. Oh. There was just this elephant was, you know, was within a foot of me, this huge elephant. And I felt completely fearless and wrapped in this in this blanket of love and connection with this being. And five other elephants had joined her. And, I mean, even some of the mahouts were crying. I mean, there was just like this 
energy where everything, it was kind of like when a baby is born and everyone just is so held in that miracle. And it was like this miracle was happening where these elephants and I and everyone who could feel it was in this other world. And um, I, I was ecstatic. I had never experienced something like this before. And I was just with them for two days. And I went back a year later and, and spent two months with them because I just felt compelled to be with them. I felt like they had so much to teach me. And there was this strong message of, you, got, you can't give up music. Right. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't give up music. <laughs> you know, so it was this divine intervention of this magnificent species and creature that brought me back to, you know, what really is important for me in this life and in my work. And, um, and I'm forever indebted in, to them. So that's how I created a CD that was inspired by being with them. And two of the pieces were recorded when I was in Thailand with the Elephant Orchestra. And, uh, you know, nothing was changed in those recordings. It's exactly how it was recorded and how they played. And, um, and part of the proceeds from the sale of Hidden Sky, which is the name of the CD, um, I send to the Elephant Sanctuary in Tennessee um, and Elephant Hospital in Thailand, um, where I know the founder of that. So, and these links are on my website. If people are interested, there's a bunch of links having to do with elephant conservation and, and protection. So that was my experience with these incredible animals. And they continue to live in me and continue to help me find my way through all of this um, chaos in this world. So I'm curious, um, I, when I tell people about the music on Hidden Sky and what they're hearing and, and that some of it is being played by elephants, the thought that runs through my mind is how how other species have to have to do something that we can identify with so that we'll pay attention, we'll value them. In other words, yeah. you know, it's like they learn an instrument and we go, oh, wow, they're playing a human instrument. So yeah. And I just... No, go ahead. I just, I just feel like there's some connection there of of being able to commune with these profound, wise beings. And I just, I just wonder what their message is to us. Well, you know, I can tell you what I felt. And um, I, I really actually was quite tormented by seeing these elephants in captivity and, and was really, you know, I went back and forth whether I should be participating in the Elephant Orchestra, you know, doing something with that, and whether I should put that out on a CD. And, um, you know, because I agree with you. I wholeheartedly agree. Why should these incredible beings 
have to prove their intelligence through doing something that humans do, you know? Mm-hmm. Why can't... And that was part of my reason of going back the following year, was to spend two months with them where I didn't force them to play an instrument. I mean, I didn't play with them again. I just went back to be with them, you know, to hang out with them, to talk with mahouts, to talk with elephant experts, and to spend as much time with them as I could. And my partner went with me, and together we we really consciously tried to move through and navigated the complex array of emotions when you um, when you are living in a place of intense sorrow and intense joy at one time. And for both of us, I think we experienced almost a mirror reflection of the elephant's existence and our own human existence these days, where, you know, in many ways humans are in chains. Mm-hmm. You know, we are... We are whether we know it, our freedoms have been taken. You know, we are not who we were, you know, when we were free and living from a place of spirit and from a place of communing with the earth and all beings on this planet. And and yet elephants maintain the integrity of their elephantness. And, of course, there are stories now of elephants basically suffering from post-traumatic stress disorders. But um, for the most part, they are trying to maintain their sense of elephantness. And to me, that was a great reflection of how can we as humans, within these confines of this society and this world these days, how do we find our way back to our humanness? How do we... How do we find a way to connect to these elephants, to these frogs, to these trees, in a way that you really listen, you know, where you really, you know, rather than imposing your own mind on something, you just sit and you listen. And, um, you know, the art of listening is, it's, you know, endangered species right now. Yeah. (laughs) And... And so, well, there's a lot of hope in Hidden Sky. There's a there's uh, Second Sight and Hidden Sky are both uh, uh, there's there's elation. There's incredible elation in both, and Hidden Sky in particular. There's 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 both there's there's such a range of emotional quality there that um, it's a very rich experience. Yeah, well, and that was what it was when I was there, and Mm -hmm. it was. It really came through in the music, I think, because mm-hmm. I I feel like there's reverence in that CD. There's you know sorrow. There's intense joy. There's um, contemplation. There's you know it just kind of goes through all these different places from that experience that um, that I was wanting to share with people. So you take people um, on tour there, don't you? Do do you take? I mean, do you take a group of people periodically to to the elephants? This, yeah, this is my second year. I'm bringing. A, um, I brought a group of women last year, and I'm bringing another group this year. And it's very small. Last year was seven women, and this year it's five. Um, and the experience really is to spend time with the elephants and the mahouts and with elephant experts. 
and to really, and then within the circle of women, explore what comes up and what is learned and what is heard and and then also of course to be in this beautiful country with um, with such a history and such a culture that's steeped in Buddhism and um, and it's just it's a beautiful place. Um, Do you play with so the elephants when you go? No. No I don't. Um, it really is um it's not my um it's not my intention to do that again it's more of an intention to have each of them whoever is there to experience their own experience with the elephants because it's really different every time because i would know? it seemed like the elephants enjoyed your music they did and um you know it'd be interesting to go back and play for them this this winter. Maybe I'll try and set that mm-hmm. up um, rather than to play with the orchestra, but to just set that up again where the elephants are there and see what they, uh, see how they, how they, you know, respond again. Because yeah. that really was fun. It was really fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that would be interesting. They seem like they valued that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it was interesting because the the head Mahout, who um, also spoke English, when I that first day when I played for the elephants, he came up to me with tears in his eyes and he said, "Jamie, they're going to go to bed with this music in them. <laughs> they're going to go to sleep tonight with this music in them. Yeah. I know that." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could. I I feel like you could help send the message that we we do care. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we definitely do. Mm. Well, gosh, I want to uh, before we stop. I want to uh, you you just uh, tell us what you're currently doing before we we end this wonderful. You have a new CD that's just come out, and do I, what, what? Tell us anything you want to about what what you're up to right this minute. Well, well, thank you. Um, you know, uh, first off, I want to say when you were talking back about poetry and how you incorporated poetry in your um, your SOAS work and your workshops. Um, I work with a poet, and we do these poetry concerts as well as workshops um, in Hawaii where we enter into this place of where poetry and music um, basically disengage the mind um, in ways that open ourselves up into new areas and new places within ourselves. And um, so I'm also a part of that exploration of poetry and music. And um, so we created a CD that came out a year and a half ago called Only Breath, which is the name of a Rumi poem. And uh, on that CD is Rumi, Rilke, Pablo Neruda, Derek Walcott, a couple poems by Kim Rosen, who is the woman who recites the poetry. And... um, and then I just released the instrumental version of that CD last uh, May. So that is now released. And so they're companion CDs that can be bought separately, but they can also be bought together. And, um, and they're, to me, they are very much a journey. They're a journey as you travel through the instrumental CD as well as the poetry and, and, instrument, and music CD. 
Um, so I'm doing that. I'm releasing that. I'm doing these Thailand tours, and I just got back from New York today and had a wonderful experience of doing music for a Japanese classical dance troupe, which was really fun. Um, so, you know, I'm just, and I'm trying to think of what the next CD is going to be. You know, I'm Oh, good. That, <laughs> yeah, I'm in that listening and that, you know, ruminating place. So, okay, where am I going to go this time? So, um, uh, pretty, I feel like there's a momentum that's been uh, presented with these last few CDs, Hidden Sky and Only Breath and Unspoken, and with this video game that has, you know, sort of brought my music to a whole new audience, and they're all waiting for something else to come out, and so I'm just like, okay, i got to come up with something, so, because mm-hmm. um, I'm usually pretty slow in creating CDs, it's usually every few years, so. I'm going to try and do one faster this time. <laughs> well, that'd be interesting. I'll look forward to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. I know you just got back from New York to join me in this conversation. Um, many people from from my workshops have heard your music and bought your CDs and and have um, have really valued. Uh, the places where they've been able to go by hearing the sound of of cello and then enhanced by many of the other the vocals and and the words and but but i think for me as valuable as all of that is the resonance itself the as you said intention that you bring to your music is what i so um i'm so moved by is this this willingness to just be in the present moment, whatever that moment entails. Oh, well, thank you, Liz. You know, and I have to say that I am just honored that you use my music in your work. Uh, it's, it's one of the, it brings me great joy when <laughs> I hear stories of, of healers and artists who use my work in tandem with what they're creating and what they're, what healing they're bringing to the planet and just what they're doing and how it can inspire. Because for me, it's all about how can we help each other create in the best way that we can. And uh, so I'm honored that you use it, and thank you. Well, thank so you much. very much. And for anyone who's listening, once again, you can read about Jamie and see what she's doing and where she's going to be on tour at her website, uh, jamiesieber.com, and that's J-A-M-I-S-I-E-B-E-R.com. So thank you, and have a great night. Get some sleep after your travels. I will. Thank you, and you take care, too, Liz. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.